Continuing the series in 2 Corinthians, we're going to get started in chapter 11, and we're doing verses 1 through 15 today. We're not going to knock out the whole chapter. <laughs> but uh, what, we've, what we've come to see so far as we've been going through this letter is that the, the Corinthians have apparently been easily uh, led astray. They've been easily misled by these false apostles, these false teachers that are coming in. And these teachers would come in and they're boasting of all their own ability. They are uh, talking about how good they are, how good they can speak. They're, they're putting on the show. They look the part. And all the while that they're lifting themselves up, they're, they're not actually pointing people towards God. They're just pointing people towards themselves. And all the while they're doing this, they're also tearing down Paul, basically trying to show how good they are and how bad Paul is so he, they can kind of sneak in on Paul's ministry. But now Paul is going to take a pretty aggressive stance with these false teachers. If you didn't know what Paul thought about them before, by the end of this section, you're really going to know what Paul thinks about these false teachers, these false apostles coming through. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not very nice. So let's go ahead and get started. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 2 says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now you'll remember that in uh, uh, chapter 10, just last week, Paul was really criticizing his opponents for being foolish because they were, they were, they were stroking their own ego. They were comparing themselves one to another. They were comparing themselves to Paul. And uh, he said that this is foolish because they're missing the point. They don't actually get what's going on. They're trying to point towards themselves instead of pointing towards God. So Paul says that these guys are foolish. And he says, if you're going to boast, make sure you're boasting in the Lord, not in your own abilities, not in your own talents and gifting. Because Paul sees this boasting as basically... Uh, and, and boasting in yourselves and flaunting credentials, he sees this as just being foolish. But it seems that the Corinthians are easily per persuaded by this foolishness. They're getting wrapped up in the glamour of who these people are. You know, and we, I, it's always funny when I read this stuff, you get that first like uh, uh, thing in your mind that says, man, how can these guys be getting uh, the, the wool pulling over your, their eyes like this? I mean, how can they get so wrapped up and his credentials and the famousness or whatever it is these guys have. And then I realized that we all do this every single day. Not only in the Christian world, but I mean, we have shows called American Idol. Like the whole purpose is to elevate people to a, to a social status of, of idol, which is a scary place to be, I think, if I were any of those people. But the truth is, it's not just there. We look up to stars. We look up to famous people. And they can give their opinion on anything, and somehow we believe it because they're rich and famous. I mean, the truth is, is that for the most part, why would you take any kind of advice, spiritual advice, political advice, financial advice, from someone that's a professional athlete or a professional star? The chances are that their expertise is not in those areas. But we, 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 we get bedazzled by these people, and we, we tend to believe everything that they say. And the same thing has happened to the Corinthians. They've been deceived and they, they're looking at <clears throat> um, what they're saying. They've been enticed by their deception and their foolishness. So Paul says, I want you to bear with me then for a little bit of foolishness of my own. Because Paul's getting ready to do some boasting of his own. And the reality is, is Paul probably does feel a little foolish 
having to do this boasting to them. Because he shouldn't have to boast about this stuff. This should be completely obvious to the Corinthians. Paul shouldn't have to boast to elevate his credentials. He shouldn't have to boast about who he is and who his authority because they should know. He went to them first. It's the very reason that they even have a relationship with Christ. He introduced them to Christ. He taught them how to walk with Christ. He taught them how to, to pray properly. He taught them how to, to, to actually learn and to hear from God. He's the, he taught them about the gifts of the Spirit. He, he's the one that taught them all the stuff. And in addition to that, their lives have completely changed. Matter of fact, Paul says, I don't need any letters of, of commendation earlier in the chapter because my letters of commendation are your very own lives that have been changed. Why should he have to defend his authority? So not only is it foolish to, to elevate your own credentials in the first place, he probably feels foolish because he doesn't understand why he has to do it in the first place. Why don't they already know? But now he's facing a dilemma. He can either remain silent and hope that the, the Corinthians finally see through the lies and the deception. He can remain silent and hope that by, by some miracle they finally get it. But the problem is this obviously isn't happening. They're, they're obviously not looking past the shininess of these new teachers and looking into their teaching. Or he can begin to boast of his own and speak up and defend his own credentials. Because if he doesn't, his authority is discredited. If he doesn't, his ministry is discredited. And if these things happen, there's the potential for the Corinthians to fall away. That's the interesting thing about this, is that even in his boasting, Paul's intent is completely different. You see, they're foolish in their boasting because they're trying to lift themselves up. They're foolish in their boasting because they're trying to elevate their status. They're trying to puff up their reputation now Paul's having to boast not to puff up his own reputation for personal gain, for, for personal wants or desires, but he has to do it to make sure that the Corinthians don't fall away. He has to do it because he cares about them, because he actually loves them. So instead of letting the Corinthians get torn away, he decides to speak up. And the Bible says that he feels a divine jealousy for them. He doesn't want them to be led astray. He says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You know, the picture of a marriage covenant is often used to describe the picture of the church's relationship with Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And when Paul introduced the Corinthian church to Christ, he intended to present them as a pure virgin to Christ. And what he means by that is that they're not going to be, have their minds looking in different directions or their minds are focused on Christ and they're living for Christ instead of being distracted by all these other things. But the Corinthian eyes have begun to wander. And these teachers are starting to bring in false teaching. We're going to find out later that they're actually bringing in a false Jesus and a false gospel. And their eyes are starting to wander. They're starting to see these other things and they're at risk of defiling the marriage covenant because they're no longer being pure in their devotion to Christ. So Paul says, you know what? I will be a little foolish if me being foolish can get them back on track and put their eyes back on Jesus. But one thing I want you to know that even in Paul's boasting, uh, it's really interesting, his intent is completely different. Everything Paul does, even when he acts foolish, is to lead people back towards Christ. And then he goes on and 
verses 3 through 4, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was portrayed by the serpent by simply the serpent trying to get her thought patterns to change. He just needed to get her to think a little differently. You see, before the serpent showed up, the idea of not serving God, the idea of not being devoted to God, never even entered their minds. It wasn't even something that they fathomed. It wasn't something they contemplated. That's not how their thought pattern worked. But the devil shows up in the form of a serpent, and he begins whispering clever lies into the ears of Eve. He says that God's laws are not what you want to be following. He says that God's will for you, God's laws, are not what's actually best for you. Now, before this happened, Eve and ultimately Adam later would never have ever thought this way because they'd never seen anything else. They believed that God was enough, and their, their eyes were completely on him. Their trust was fully in him, but these clever lies show up, and they begin to change her thinking. And afterwards, her thoughts were no longer on serving God. Instead, she began to have those those clever lies coming in, something telling her that, you know what? The advantages of not serving God, those are going to outweigh the disadvantages of serving God. And, And the thinking starts changing, and she gets led astray, and we all know the rest of the story because she ultimately eats from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the same exact thing was happening to the Corinthians. Paul had led them with the foundation of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. The the gospel is presented in its purest form. And now these people were coming in and they're starting to whisper clever lies in the ears of the Corinthians and telling them something else. And as a result, their thinking begins to change. And as a result, they begin to listen and believe and they no longer have a severe a a sincere devotion to Christ. They no longer have this sincere and pure devotion to Christ because their thoughts have been led astray and they're looking at something else. And instead of focusing on Jesus, they're focusing on the lies and the words of these false teachers. And just like Eve eventually reached out and pulled that fruit down, the Corinthians were doing the very same thing and they were abandoning their first love and being led astray and deceived by something else. Because Paul says that these these false teachers, they're showing up and they're proclaiming another Jesus than the one Paul proclaimed. They were receiving a different spirit than the one they received from Paul. And they were accepting a different gospel from the one they accepted. And Paul says, look, here's the deal. You put up with this readily enough. You're just letting these people come in and teach you any kind of, uh, of message that they want. They're putting up with it. And instead of refusing these false teachings, instead of looking at the teaching and say, wait a minute, this is at odds with what Paul is teaching. This is something different. Instead of fighting back, they just went along with it. And they were led astray. We actually see this today. Did you know that? There are cults out there that claim to be Christians. 
And on the surface, they look very similar. But they have maybe a different Jesus. Or they have a slightly different gospel. The path to salvation is slightly different. It's not just faith in Jesus, but it's faith in Jesus and something else. And the problem is, is these, these teachers have come in and they're, they're spreading these clever lies. And, and me personally, I think this is one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy because these lies look so close to the real thing that they're drawing people in. And the worst part about it is, is they think that they're saved. They think that they're looking in the right place. They're, being de- they, they, they're genuinely searching for God and somebody has deceived them. And they found the wrong thing. The problem is, is that their trust is in a different Jesus than the one the Bible says under this one is the name that every man must be saved. It's the only path to heaven. And they have a different gospel where they're trusting in something other than the finished work of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest deceptions the enemy has ever pulled off are these different cults that look so similar to the real thing. Because I don't know if you've ever ministered to them, it's hard. When you say you need to believe in Jesus, and they go, oh, but I do. You need to believe in the gospel, oh, but I do. And they don't even realize they don't. And to the end, they think that they have security when really the rug has been pulled out from underneath them. You know, this is why it's so important that you spend time in your word. And Michael, as you head out today, this is why it's so important that you keep that solid foundation because you're going to get out in the world and there's going to be people telling you other things. Sometimes they're going to they're try to, to change the gospel a little bit and sometimes they're just going to tell you that it doesn't exist at all or it's false. And they'll come to you with clever arguments. One of the things that I, I started doing several years ago was spending time watching apologetic debates you know, where they're, they're, they're debating the evidence of, of God or Christ. And one of the things that I picked up on real quick is that those who are opposed have incredibly good arguments. And if you don't have a solid foundation in the Word, if you don't have a solid, found, a solid relationship with Christ, if you don't know what His voice sounds like, then it's so easy to be led astray. And you might hear something that sounds good and it seems to make sense, but if you actually compare it critically against the Word of God, it doesn't match up. And it's so important that we do these things because we want to be presented to to, to God as as a pure virgin as well. We want our eyes on Him. We don't want to be distracted We want to be pure and undefiled in our devotion to Him, and we don't want all these other spiritual things to creep in. We're seeing that now, too. Some of the stuff that's going on as Christianity tries to get progressive gets a little scary. But if you're not careful, it can sound good and be completely wrong. Amen? We have to be careful. We can't put up with it readily enough. And unless you have a solid foundation, you will. And you won't even know it. Amen? Then he goes on in verses 5-6, through six, he says, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So while Paul had previously shown his 
disapproval of this idea of comparing himself to another. Now in what seems like a a turn of events, he's going to do that very thing. He compares himself to these super apostles. He ends up, this is that foolishness that he wants them to indulge in. And remember, I pointed out that it is still different. Because his intent is not to lift up himself, but instead to draw the Corinthians back in. But Paul says he's not in any way inferior to these super apostles. Now, I am not uh, sure if this is Paul throwing a jab at these guys or if this is actually what they referred to themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if these prideful men, this is how they referred to them. Yeah, those are the 12 apostles and Paul's okay, but we're super apostles. But they had certainly elevated themselves above Paul and even the other 12 disciples. They're, they're likely, these are, these are our Greek speakers that have been trained in rhetoric. These guys know how to speak. They know how to put on a show. You know, one of the things they criticized Paul of, and he even says here, I'm unskilled in speaking. It's likely that Paul wasn't a great speaker. But uh, these guys were. They were trained in it. And, and also they had that look, right? Because they said, Paul, like he's weakened not only as his speaking, but he's, he's weak in his physical presence as well. So these guys, they, they talk to talk. They walk the walk. But the apostles, Paul and the other 12, they had never received any of this kind of training. This is why the, the Corinthians are so easily deceived because they see Paul, they, they hear about the other disciples, and, or the other 12 apostles, and, and these guys weren't trained. Paul even declares this here in in verse 6, but also in his first letter. So verse 6, he says, I'm unskilled in speaking, but in his first letter, and and 1 Corinthians 2, 1, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And we know that the other 12 were untrained as well. In Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see, that's the thing. is the, the apostles, Paul included, they weren't trained. They weren't great oratory speakers. They, didn't, they weren't trained in rhetoric. They just had the word of God. The good news is that's enough. He says, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. You know, one thing that's interesting to me is that God commonly uses people that are untrained and unskilled to do powerful things in the kingdom of heaven. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, Paul says that God often uses the foolish to put to shame those who are wise. And the reason that I believe that he does this is because when somebody is unskilled and they get out there doing powerful things, there's no way you can say, well, it was that person doing it. It had to be God. And it allows God to shine through and it, allows, it makes it where people can't take the credit to what God is doing. But Paul says, even though if I'm unskilled in my speaking, I am not unskilled in knowledge. Because Paul knew what he was talking about. Just like they could see Peter and John and said, yeah, they're, they're, they're uneducated common men, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. Paul had the same thing. Not only was Paul a Jew, and apparently a, 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 a very effective Jew. Later on, we'll hear in other, uh, uh, other uh, books and other letters, he, he goes on to talk about actually that he's the, the, the best of the best as far as, as where he's at in his, his Jewish walk. 
He was the top of the top of the game. He was the best of the best. He says, I have something to boast about. But then later on, he says that I leave all this stuff behind me because it doesn't really matter. But also, Paul was directly addressed by Jesus after Jesus had, 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 had died. Paul spoke to Jesus. Paul had a direct connection to Jesus. So Paul knew what he was about. Paul may not have been a great speaker, but he had the, he had the, the knowledge to back it up. It didn't matter. It's one of the things that oftentimes people say, hey, that was a great message, and my most common response not that I'm not thankful that you guys say that, and, and, and matter of fact, I really do appreciate it, but my most common response is I got good source material. That's what it is. That's why I use so much scripture in my preaching, because my words aren't really going to affect you that much, but the word of God will make an impact. It's the word of God that doesn't return void. It's the word of God that, that produces faith. Not me. So I just do the best I can to try to talk about it and explain what's going on, but it's the Word of God that will change your life. And the truth is, is that it's your responsibility to, to, to look into what I'm saying. You shouldn't just take everything that I say on, on just because he's the pastor. That's your responsibility is to make sure that I'm being in line with the Word of God. Just like everything that I hear and listen to, I have to do the same thing. But Paul says, listen, I'm not unso in knowledge. And then he says, indeed, every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So basically, not only do I have the knowledge, but I back this up in actions. Because they saw how their lives were changed when Paul ministered to them. And they saw not only how Paul taught, but how he lived when he was with them. And like I said, the evidence that Paul had, as he had declared earlier in this letter, was the Corinthians themselves. They were his letters of accommodation. He goes on in verses 7 through 9, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So it wasn't all that uncommon in those days for the speakers and teachers to come out and, short, and charge, charge um, a very large sum for them to come and speak and teach people. And when they had traveled, when they came out there, they were expected to get paid. And the, 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 the way it worked, and, and much today how we see the same thing, is the more they charged, the more elevated they were, the more respected they were. So basically, the more they charged, the better they were. And we see that today, right? When something is super cheap, like when you walk into the dollar store, you know everything's not going to be super great quality because it's a dollar. But if you walk into somewhere else and it's, it's much higher quality stuff, you're going to pay more for it. So that, this concept of the, the, the more you spend, the higher quality is, is not, not new and it's not uh, uh, foreign to us today. But back then, the more they charged, it demonstrated the quality of their teaching, the authority of their teaching. And it's likely that these false teachers were coming out and they're charging for their, for their teaching to the Corinthians. And they're, they're trying to demonstrate their quality at the same time. And then they're going ahead and disparaging Paul for not doing the same thing. They said, look, if he doesn't even charge you, what could he be worth? And it seems to, at least to some extent, the Corinthian church agreed with this sentiment. Because now Paul's got to defend it. He says, did I commit a sin? And humbling myself so that you might be exalted? 
You see, Paul wasn't trying to demonstrate his worth with how much he charged. In addition, this, is, this, this idea of, of, of coming out and, and accepting support probably wasn't even uncommon in the Christian church as well because that's how Jesus told them to go out, right? Go out and wherever you're staying, let them take care of you while you're ministering. That was probably kind of how missionaries work. Paul was unique in this sense. But Paul, like I said, was not trying to demonstrate that he was a worthy teacher by how much he charged. He had no desire to take from the Corinthians to support himself. His only desire was that they would hear the gospel. That was his priority. Everything Paul did was to make sure that the kingdom of heaven grew. So while the, the Corinthian church are lowering their, their, their respect for Paul based on what he's cha- charging, he challenges them and says, what, is it a sin that I didn't charge you anything to preach the gospel? Not only did he not charge them. Bye, guys. We'll be praying for you, Michael. Be blessed. Hallelujah. But not only did Paul not charge them, he actually accepted help from the other churches. And in this case, he, was, he, was, he says that, look, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them. And he's, he's talking about the, the church in Macedonia that supplied uh, money for his needs. And if you remember when he started this, the Macedonian church, the reason why I probably said I robbed them is because they were broke. They were dirt poor. It says they had an abundance of poverty, yet they still made sure Paul had enough because they wanted to be involved in the ministry. They were willing to sacrifice to make sure that others could hear the gospel, and they were sending out Paul. And it's not like these guys were mega churches. They didn't have unlimited resources. They were poor. Then he says, not only did I not charge you to come when I got there, he says, I refrained from burning burning you in any way. Even when he was there, we know that Paul still worked. Paul was still making a living on his own, and he was was working in order to support them because he didn't want to be a burden to all of them. And it's not as though he didn't have any right Remember that Paul did have a right to, to, to receive support from those he was ministering to. In 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 12, it says, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but by enduring anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This has always been the attitude of Paul, was to not put anything in the way. He says the same thing to the Thessalonian Thessalonian church. I was trying to say Thessalonian Thessalonica at the same time and doesn't work you got to pick one second thessalonians 3 7 through 9 says for you yourselves know how we ought how you ought to imitate us because we're not idle when we were with you nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you it was not because we do not have a right but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate the reality is is paul had a right to be supported by them but he deliberately chose not to to ensure that there was nothing that stood in the way. He says, I've never charged you. 
and I don't plan on doing it. He says, I refrain that I will refrain from burdening you in any way. And this isn't a sign of inferiority from Paul, but this is actually a sign of dedication to the gospel, to his ministry, and to making an impact on the lives of the, the Corinthians. And in verses 10 through 12, it says, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. If you remember this regions of Achaia, that's just the Corinthians. He says, And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. I think one of the greatest evidences of the legitimacy of, of, of Paul's apostleship and the great, greatest proof that he was a true apostle and the others were false was how he handled money. Matter of fact, how you handle money is a great indicator of your character and who you are. And that's why Paul is using this as a foolish boast. It shows that Paul was concerned with the message and they were concerned with worldly or earthly gain. But the false teachers and apparently even the, the Corinthians were viewing this in the opposite way they should. They claimed that, that, that him not charging was inferior, not, not superior to them, and they were trying to silence his boats. But he says, no, my boasting of mine's not going to be silenced. And then based on the response in verse 11, he says, why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. They, they were taking this idea that they weren't letting them support him as some, uh, some way to say that maybe they didn't love him or that he didn't love them. And I certainly understand this misunderstanding because Paul's going in there. He's not trying to take anything from him. He's just trying to be there for them. And somehow they get it in their idea, this idea in their head that the reason why he's not is because he doesn't actually care about them. He doesn't actually love them. And I understand this because I've actually experienced this for myself personally. So we're going on eight years. I think a, a few months in the next year, this church will have been open for eight years. I've never received a salary. I've never received a dime. I've never received anything. It's been, I've volunteered the entire time for this, this eight years. And I don't actually mention this hardly at all anymore because I found out that sometimes when I would, people would, would feel guilty and make it that they thought that what I, I, was, I was telling them this because I wanted them to feel bad and give more so that I could finally take a salary. Now, don't get me wrong. One day I plan on taking a salary. You know, the, the, the goal is to, to grow so we have enough resources so that I can focus full time on the ministry. But the reality is, is the reason why I told people this, that I do this without taking any pay, was not because I wanted them to feel guilty and give more. It's because I wanted them to know that I was dedicated. I'm not in this for the money. If I'm in this for the money, I am the dumbest person with money that you have ever met. The truth is, I plan on do doubling my salary next year. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, but I, I don't... I don't say this because I want people to feel guilty or, or do anything. It's just I want people to know that I am dedicated to this. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this for, for the fame. I'm certainly not famous. And, but it's because I care about you, and I want people to hear the gospel. And this is what God has called me to do. So I definitely understand what he's saying. It's like, what do you mean? Me not taking money from you somehow shows I don't love you? He says, no. God knows that I do. The truth is, is that he's not receiving anything from them because he does love them. And he wants nothing 
to be in the way. And he says, you know what, though? What I'm doing, I'm going to continue to do it. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to start taking money from you. He says, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. What he's trying to say here is these guys are coming in, they're, they're, they're boasting of their own mission, they're boasting of their own credentials, and Paul's like, they're not even on the same playing field as I'm on. They're in there just to make money. They're not in there for you. And he says, so I'm going to keep working for free so that they can't take that away. They can't actually claim that they're, they're doing the same thing as I am because they're not even on the same field. They're not even close. Paul is willing to sacrifice and give up anything for the Corinthians. And not just the Corinthians, every, every region that Paul went to, he operated in the same way. He was willing to give up anything so that people could hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. Whereas these false teachers who aren't even on the same playing field, their only purpose, their only desire was to line their pocketbooks and to puff up their reputation, probably so they could go to the next place and charge even more. And now we get to see what Paul really thinks about these men as we go ahead and close up. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 says, For such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, he starts off this chapter saying that they're super apostles. You know, kind of a passive-aggressive jab at them. But now he's just coming out and really saying what he feels about them. These men are coming out and claiming to be apostles, but they're anything but. Paul says, no, they're false apostles. They're deceitful. They're just trying to, to trick you, and they're disguising themselves as an apostle of Christ because they're not interested in anything other than deceiving the Corinthians to try to earn some kind of money. They weren't concerned with the Corinthians' spiritual health. And they're disguising themselves to be apostles so they have an inroad, though. You know, it's funny. We, <laughs> I always say that technology changes, but people never do. The truth is that in all areas of life, this stuff happens. Anybody ever got that phone call from somebody from Microsoft that's concerned with the virus you have on your computer? Apple Store, whatever. They're, they're disguising themselves as somebody else to try to have an inroad to take advantage of you. Just so you know, if anybody ever calls like that, Microsoft nor Apple cares about you. Individually, at least. <laughs> so they're not going to personally call you up to try to fix your computer. Anybody uh, heard recently that your extended warranty on your vehicle is going to be expiring? Student loans. I mean, there's so many scams out there. Why? Because they're disguising themselves to find an inroad. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're coming in and disguising themselves as apostles, trying to ride on the back of the hard work of Paul and, and probably the other disciples or other apostles. This isn't just happening to Paul. I imagine it's happening to the others as well. They're trying to come in on the back of the labor that's been done by them and have an inroad just so they can make a quick buck. They puffed themselves up. They boasted in their own abilities, putting the focus on themselves instead of on God. But Paul says, you know what? This isn't a surprise. He says, no wonder even Satan did this. Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. And the false apostles are just doing exactly what they see their master doing. 
These men are servants of Satan. They're not servants of God. But he says, you know what? Their end will correspond to their deeds. They're going to pay a price. And I think about this stuff in many ways. They're going to pay a price twofold. One, I really wouldn't envy this man when they stand before Jesus one day and it turns out that it was them who made people stumble. It was them that made people fall. Jesus warned about that. Woe is him who makes any one of these little ones stumble. But even more so, if these people are drinking their own Kool-Aid, if you will, if they're believing their own hype, they, they may, may believe that they're saved. And they're not. And like I said, we see this all around today with the uh, false Christian cults that think that they have it right. And those who, 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 who know better, they're going to answer for their deception and those who really believe it, they're going to ultimately pay the price because they didn't actually do the work to make sure that what they were being taught was true. They didn't spend time in the Word or for whatever reason, they weren't pushing back against the false teaching. They're going to pay a price. The truth is the Corinthians uh, should have been able to identify these pretenders. They should have been able to identify these false teachers and false prophets and they should have never let them in. And that's true for us. We need to be careful who we're listening to. Turns out that you can get a lot of preaching, you can get a lot of teaching online right now. And on one hand, it's a fantastic resource to go online. And, he, and we're able to hear preachers from all over the world and hear great messages. But if you don't have a solid foundation where you can reject stuff, either one, sometimes you're going to hear some preaching from somebody and... 99% of it's good, but they have that one thing. And you reject that because it's not aligned with the Word of God. Or sometimes you're going to have somebody that's just so out there, they're preaching craziness the whole time. But we have to be able to identify that and reject it if it's not in alignment with the Word of God. Because not only should the Corinthian evaluated their teachers, the same is true for us, amen? We have to evaluate and make sure it always lines up with the word of god because the truth is there are so many out there that would take advantage of you through deception and like i said even an atheist with a with an argument that's completely antithetical to god to christ can have an argument that sounds good but if you don't have a solid foundation you can be led astray just like the corinthians were I don't know if you know this, but the whole reason that the, the Bible is here for us today is so that we can learn from this stuff. It's there to teach us. That's the reason why it was written down. All Scripture was written for our benefit. So these are the warnings that we should be catching when we read this stuff. So let's learn from the Corinthians. Let's carefully consider all those who will allow to have spiritual input on our lives. And I mean that's true for me too, and Pastor Joseph as well. But the thing is, when we're armed with the truth, when we're armed with the solid foundation of the Word of God, with the gospel, we actually steal away the power that those have who attempt to deceive us. Amen? So let's go ahead and make sure we're solid. Don't forget to spend time in your Word. Spend time with God. Know His voice. Know His Word. And you're going to be significantly more protected against this kind of teaching and deception. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head. Hallelujah.
looking out here, I just always want to give an opportunity. Every time we have a message, and some of you guys might think this is weird, like, Pastor Wayne, you know almost all of us in here. Why do you do this every week? And there's two reasons. I once heard a story uh, from one of my, a pastor that I knew who had a gentleman that attended church every week for several years. And he just always assumed that this man was saved. And then one day he gave the altar call and this man that's been going for years raised his hand. And I always want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to respond to the gospel. In addition, we have people that are watching online. And uh, whether they hear this message today or, or 10 years down the road as they're scrolling through YouTube, I always want them to have the opportunity to respond. So as I always do, I just wanted to let everybody know that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to give his life on the cross to pay for every failure, every sin, every falling that you've ever had. And the reality is, is that every single one of us have fallen. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us, if we're honest, we know that we have sinned. We know that we have fallen. But the reality is, is that the, the, the wages of sin is death. The, the, the requirement, the payment, the penalty of sin is death. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you've lied, if you've cheated, if you've stolen... Even the little sins separate us from God because they're only little in our own minds. To God, it's sin. And every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short at some point in our life. And there's no way that we can become right because the payment, the penalty for that sin is death. But God loved us so much that he made a way. He sent his only son to die on that cross so that if we believe in him, if we put our trust in him, that we won't perish, that we won't die, but we'll have everlasting life because Jesus paid the penalty. And the only requirement that we have to do is put our trust in him. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you will be saved. So you got to do two things. You have to believe in your heart and you have to say it out loud. So if there's anybody here this morning that's not put their faith in Jesus Christ, if they're not sure that they're saved, if you're not sure where you're going to go when you die, whether you're going to hell or you're going to heaven, this is your opportunity. If there's anybody in here today, just raise your hand so I can pray with you if you've not received the free gift of salvation by putting your trust in Jesus. And if you're online right now and you're listening to this, whether it's today or 10 years down the road, feel free to reach out to me. Send an email. Make a phone call. We'll still be here so that we can pray with you. And remember, there's two things you have to do. Trust in Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and declare it with your mouth. So send me an email. Send me a, uh, give me a phone call. Put a message in the, in the chat of these, these videos because we want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and stand.